Let's pray. Our Father, we do give you thanks for your great and amazing grace to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, Lord, we do ask even now as we uh, come to your word this morning, we ask that your Spirit would help us to understand what you have for us in the Scriptures. We're thankful that we have your word, that we can take it and hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against you as the psalmist writes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, recently my family and I had the opportunity to go to the ocean, to the beach, and enjoy some time there. And while we were there, a tropical storm started to make its way to the coast. And providentially, we left the day it landed, so everything was great. But the last day or so we were there, we were able to be on the beach, but not in the water because it was too dangerous. But as you stood there on the beach, it was mesmerizing. It was fascinating to watch the storm kind of brewing out over the ocean, to see the the change on the horizon, to see the water start to get much more intense, a little more scary. You know, I often think the beach, fun, hey, the ocean, all right. But then you start to see that happening to the ocean, you think, whoa, Man, the ocean is huge, and it's powerful, and there should be a good amount of fear here when you're thinking about the ocean. And then my weird mind starts to run, and I think, what would happen if I was in the middle of the ocean right now, and there's nobody around to help me? And I think these weird thoughts and wonder what it would be like to see nothing but ocean around you for miles and miles and miles and miles of darkness below you, and to have nothing to help you. It would be fearful. It would be terrifying. That's the picture that we see in Psalm 130. And if you want to turn to Psalm 130 with me this morning, we'll see the imagery that the psalmist uses about being in the depth. This is a song of lament. Psalm 130, though, is a particular type of lament, and it's one in which the psalmist is lamenting over his own sin. We'll also see here that this is a song of ascent. In the book of Psalms, there's another little book within it from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 called the Songs of Ascent. Each one of them has the same title, a song of ascents. And these psalms were utilized by the people of God as they made their way to Jerusalem, as they made their way to the temple to worship God, to be in the presence of God. These songs were utilized personally And they were also utilized corporately during maybe those festival times when they were to return to Jerusalem to worship God in his presence. And so the psalmist here is on a journey of sorts to the temple, on a journey to Jerusalem. He's a a pilgrim in that way. And in the psalm itself, you'll see, and we will see this morning, a journey of sorts that happens as well within the psalmist. And he's dealing with his own sin. And you and I as strangers, aliens, exiles, as 1 Peter refers to us, uh, this is not our home. We don't belong here. We ultimately belong with God in the new heavens and the new earth eventually one day. We are pilgrims in a way that way. And we too struggle with sin in our own lives daily. And so we'll see how we can be, from this psalm, encouraged as we have sin in our own life, as we recognize sin in our life, as we are burdened, as we're broken over the sin in our own life. 
Where can we draw encouragement? And here in Psalm 130 this morning, we're going to see four encouragements to the burdened and the broken believer. Four encouragements to the burdened and broken believer. Let's read the entire psalm, and then we'll go back and see those encouragements. Psalm 130. A song of ascents. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The first encouragement we see from the psalmist to the burdened and broken believer is an encouragement to cry out to the Lord, to cry out to the Lord. We can take notice here from the beginning of the psalm, the situation the psalmist is in. I mentioned the depths of the ocean, and here the psalmist says, Out of the depths I cry to you. Here, the psalmist is not literally physically in the ocean. He's not literally physically surrounded by the waters or in the depths. He's using the imagery to help us understand what he's going through. It's a metaphor for suffering, for troubles, for danger, to be overwhelmed. This is used other places in Scripture. In Psalm 69, the psalmist writes, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck being overwhelmed by suffering. In Psalm 42, it says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. There is someone in the scriptures who can identify with this. We think of Jonah. And he was thrown over the boat. In Jonah 2.5, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. So here at the beginning of this psalm, we see a psalmist who is overwhelmed. It's as if he's in the depths and the waves are crashing over him and the water is up to his neck. He's overwhelmed, we can see, by his own sin. And we know that from later on in the psalm. In verse 3, it speaks of iniquities, verse 8, it talks of iniquities. We see a forgiveness in verse 4. So what's happened here is the psalmist is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the temple to be in the presence of God, to worship Almighty God, and he's painfully aware of the own sin in his life. And he's overwhelmed by it. He's burdened by it. He's broken by it. It grieves him. And so, what does he do? He cries out to the Lord. You see in verse 1 again, I cry out to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. In the midst of this burden and suffering and brokenness over his sin, he cries out to his covenant Lord. 
the sovereign Lord who is over all things, who rules all things, who holds all things in his hand, and he cries out to him. You see that it's a urgent request by the repetition here. I'm crying out, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. Please, Lord, do not forget me. Hear me. It's an urgent request. Don't turn away from me. Pardon me of my sin. Show me favor, God. Show me kindness in the midst of this burden and suffering for my sin. You can see here where the the psalmist is at the end of himself. He realizes there's absolutely nothing can be done about this burden and brokenness of his sin except for to cry out to the Lord, as we'll see later, with whom there is forgiveness. Here it's implied that this is the confession and repentance of the psalmist. He's confessing his sin, which means he's agreeing with God about the sin in his own life. He's repenting, change of mind. He's turning from sin, turning to God. So what's the encouragement to us? The encouragement is, burden broken believers, cry out to the Lord. Be real and honest about your sin. Lament before the Lord over your sin. And that's particularly important. Even today in the world we live in, you know, they love to relabel things and not particularly call sin, sin. Well, it was a mistake. It's all right. Just an accident. And we need to be real and honest and understand what our sin is. David, when he's writing about his own repentance over his sin in Psalm 51, understands and realizes and says, it's against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Ultimately, our sin is an offense before a holy God. R.C. Sproul used to say it's cosmic treason against God every time we sin. So to whom and to what do you turn when you're convicted over sin, when you're grieving over your sin? Do you take matters into your own hands and try to swim ashore from the depths? Or do you cry out to the Lord for mercy, for pardon, for forgiveness? There's encouragement in Psalm 46 where it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Or I think of Hebrews 4 as we think of the help that we have in Christ, our great Savior and Redeemer, the one who experienced life as we do and yet without sin, the perfect one for us. Hebrews 4 says, because of Christ our mediator, then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Burdened and broken believers cry out to the Lord. Cry out to Him for mercy. Plead with Him for mercy. Then after the psalmist pleads and cries out to the Lord for mercy, he finds and is refreshed anew in forgiveness with the Lord. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 and we'll see our second encouragement. Verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. 
The second encouragement to the burden and broken believer is to find forgiveness with the Lord. Find forgiveness with the Lord. The psalmist now begins with a question, verses 3 and 4. And in this question, he's dealing specifically with iniquity. Unless we be like the world again and just make iniquity what we want it to be or relabel it, iniquity is sin. And sin is lawlessness. First John 3, 4. So if we think about sin and lawlessness, we think about God and his righteous law, his righteous requirements for us. They can be summed up to love God and love neighbor perfectly, personally, perpetually, all the time, always, never failing. So to be sinful, to have iniquity is to be one who fails to upkeep or to uphold or obey God's commands, his righteous law for us. And here in the question the psalmist is asking, he's saying, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, so God, should you choose to stack up my failings, my sin, my iniquity, in the courtroom before you, a holy judge, and Count those against me. Mark those against me. See the record of all the ways I have transgressed your law. And he says, Oh Lord, who could stand? It's a rhetorical question, but one that we all know the answer to, and the psalmist knows the answer is no one. No one could stand. Should the Lord strictly judge you according to the standard of perfect law keeping? None of us could stand. We couldn't stand in his presence. As Psalm 5 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. We couldn't even be in the presence of God with our sin laid before us. And we could not stand or withstand the just judgment that we deserve because of our sin, because of our law-breaking. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. We deserve just judgment, condemnation for our sin. And the psalmist knows that there is no one who could withstand that. No one could stand before the Lord. Well, then, having realized that and acknowledged that, comes verse 4. The wonderful verse 4, which is the reason so many have loved Psalm 130 over the years. It's a statement, a declaration, a reminder that forgiveness is found with the Lord. And Let's look now at verse 4 where it says, But, we could just stop right there. It reminds us of Ephesians 2, where we read of being dead in trespasses and sins, in which we once all walked, but... God made us alive together with Christ. Here the psalmist understands his sin before a holy God and says, if you would mark my iniquity, no one could stand but. And then he goes on, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There is forgiveness. There is pardon. There is mercy that he's begged and pleaded for. There's atonement, there's satisfaction of God's wrath towards sin. This weary, broken, and burdened, and suffering psalmist 
has found and is being refreshed anew in forgiveness, found with the Lord, not himself. Not himself. As you take that imagery of being in the midst of the depths, he understands there's nothing he could do to save himself. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves before a holy God. And he acknowledges and understands that and says, oh, but forgiveness is found not with me, but with the Lord. This is why Martin Luther, who loved this psalm along with others, referred to it as one of the Pauline psalms. One of the Pauline psalms. Not because Paul wrote the psalm, uh, not even because Paul specifically mentions this psalm, but because this psalm highlights the fact that we cannot save ourselves by works. By works of the law, no man will be justified, but it is by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone that we can find forgiveness. In fact, the psalmist here would know and be highlighting that forgiveness is found with the Lord because it's in fact God's very nature to forgive according to his steadfast love and according to his covenant love, the love he set upon his chosen people, the promise that he made that he would redeem his people. All these promises of God he had made to his people that find their yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. The psalmist maybe no doubt was thinking of Exodus where Moses said, ask the Lord to pass before him or to see and be in the presence of God. And God said, no, you could not withstand that. And so he passed before him, hiding him in the rock. And as he passed before him, he proclaimed his name And in Exodus 34, verse 6, we read, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. It's who he is, forgiving God because of his steadfast love, which finds its substance in Christ Jesus. In Psalm 103, even we read of the benefits of God in Christ. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. And then later on it says in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, So far does he remove our transgressions from us. The psalmist knows that forgiveness is found with the Lord as he stands before the Lord undone with nothing in and of himself to find forgiveness, to find relief from the burden and the guilt and the weight of his sin, the grief and the sorrow and suffering. He knows the only place he can find it is with the Lord. Because with him there is forgiveness. As one writer put it, full, free, sovereign pardon is in the hand of the king and he delights to exercise it. It's it's amazing. It's astonishing. Forgiveness is found with the Lord and sometimes we say, how can this be? You see my sin that is ever before you, Lord, how can this be? And we know because of Christ, because of what he accomplished for us. Ephesians 1, seven says, In him we have redemption through his blood, his shed blood on the cross. 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. I love in Colossians where it's describing these very things, this record of debt, these lawless deeds which which we have done as we stand before the Lord. It says in Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. How do we have this record of debt dealt with? We find forgiveness with the Lord because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross, as Paul writes in Colossians. And then Paul writes in Romans, he's actually quoting from Psalm 2 of this Blessed forgiveness, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. It's it's only by forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection that we can stand before the Lord forgiven. It's by grace, through faith, on account of Christ. It's the only way to have your sins dealt with. The psalmist knows the only way to have his sins dealt with is to throw himself on the mercy of God and his promises, his steadfast love. And at the end of verse 4, there's a purpose, a result of this that he gives. He says at the end of verse 4, that you may be feared that you may be feared. This here implies a relationship of us standing before God, forgiven, pardoned, and now, out of gratitude, seeking to worship and show Him reverence and honor for who He is and that He is a forgiving God. It's out of gratitude then. You can see that formula of guilt, grace, and gratitude even here in this psalm the guilt of the sinner before God, the grace found through the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the gratitude, a life of honor and thanksgiving, reverence to the Lord. So the encouragement to you, to us, burdened and broken as we are going through our life and when we do sin, not if we sin, but when we sin, because we will not be glorified until we are with God in heaven. So when we do sin, be refreshed anew. Remember the gospel. Remember the forgiveness found in Christ. Look to Christ in all his benefits. Remember promises like 1 John 2 1 that says, right after telling us we should not sin, very strongly, he says, do not sin. But if anyone does sin, a little secret we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So when we sin, as a psalmist throws himself on the mercy of God, we throw ourselves at the foot of the cross, trusting in the Lord Jesus alone for forgiveness 
and mercy as we stand before God. And he delights to give it. He delights to give it. Not only that forgiveness, but the righteous requirement that God has for us is given to us because of Christ's perfect, obedient life for us. So when you're burdened, when you're filled with sorrow and grief and broken over your sin, feeling the weight of that guilt, we cry out to the Lord. We are refreshed again of His grace and we're filled with gratitude. Then we come to a third encouragement for the broken and burdened believer here in Psalm 130, a third encouragement to the broken and burdened believer, and that is wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Here we see, having found and been reminded of forgiveness in the Lord, the psalmist shifts now to speaking of waiting for the Lord. And you can see here and sense this deep yearning and waiting for the Lord. By the repetition, he waits, my soul waits, my soul waits. And it's not just a light waiting. I'm I'm waiting for you, Lord. There's a deep sense when he says, my soul, my whole being, I wait with my whole being for you, Lord. And then he gives us an illustration of what that's like. He says, more than watchmen for the morning. And then to emphasize it again, more than watchmen for the morning. The watchman for the morning would be someone who draws the short straw and has to stand at the city gate or the city walls through the night and watch and wait should any adversaries, enemies come to the gates or to the wall and they're there all through the night in the darkness trying to keep awake, to keep watch. And what are they waiting for? What are they longing for? The sun to come up. They're waiting for morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Why? Because then they're relieved of their duty. Their watch is over. And he says, think with me, if you will, about how bad someone who's watching for the morning is waiting and waiting. Oh, morning come, please. He says, I wait for the Lord more than that. And then he says it again, more than watchman for the morning. You can't help but notice and think with the watchman for the morning, there is a note of certainty in that waiting. As the watchman waits for morning, well, morning will come. The sun will rise. It does every day. There's a bit of certainty there. And so we see this certainty, this expectation in the psalmist's waiting. There's a hope. In fact, he says in verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. He finds strength. He finds his hope. He finds his assurance in his word, in the promises of God. 
the Lord's covenant promises to his people. This is where the psalmist draws his strength and finds his hope because he knows as sure as God has made these promises, he is faithful and he will fulfill them. They will come to pass. The sun will rise. God will be true to his promises. You see the psalmist finding hope in the word of God in Psalm 119. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And you might be asking the question I was asking myself time and time again. What is he waiting for though? Well, it says he's waiting for the Lord. Well, what specifically is he waiting for? What about the Lord is he waiting for? And I think it's not that he's waiting for this forgiveness to come as he has experienced forgiveness already. He's proclaimed that there is forgiveness with the Lord. But in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this grief over sin, having found forgiveness with the Lord, he's waiting for his joy to be restored, for his countenance to be renewed, for the light of his eyes to be renewed. I think of David in Psalm 51 when he is repenting before the Lord and his lament of his sin. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. See, he's longing and waiting for his joy to be restored. It's as if when we experience this sin, this guilt, this weight and burden, and we are refreshed anew in the grace of God and Christ to us, it's not always going to be a joy is restored. It may take some time for the Lord to restore that joy in us as we wait for Him, waiting, longing, fixing our eyes upon Him. We think of our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we fix our eyes on Him, we enjoy union with Christ. We are united to Him. And to be united to Him means we enjoy all of His benefits. And sometimes we want to just seek after the benefits and say, Christ is over here, I have forgiveness. Now I'm going to seek after the benefits. And the psalmist here is saying, no, we have forgiveness with the Lord in Christ. And so what do we seek? Him. And those benefits will come. It may take some time, but they will come. And he's strengthened in the waiting because he hopes in his word. I think of the psalmist in Psalm 73. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you setting our eyes on the one who has given us forgiveness trusting in Him alone, and finding the benefits freely given to us. It's this idea of the already not yet. One writer says, Though he had formerly sense of mercy and pardon, speaking of the psalmist here, yet he waits for more full and sweet apprehension thereof. Though God be exceeding gracious, yet there is matter of waiting so long as we live here on earth, for he gives not all the fullness of his blessings at once. We wait for the Lord. We 
already are forgiven. Yes, the psalmist is forgiven. We are forgiven. We are already justified. We think of Romans chapter 5, chapter 8, where it says, having been justified, we have peace with God. Or there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We already possess Christ and all his benefits by faith and trust in him, but there is a sense of longing, a sense of waiting until our faith is sight, till it's fully realized and we're rid of sin. Romans 8 later says in verse 23, we eagerly await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So as we wait... Burden and broken believers, we wait for the Lord, but we find hope in his precious promises. Romans 8 again, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's as good as done. And then later in the chapter, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can bank on it. We can find hope in that while we wait, while we fix our eyes on Christ and are transformed into the image of Christ through our sanctification as we grow in godliness. So burden, broken believer, wait for the Lord. Fix your eyes upon him. Don't just look to Christ for forgiveness and then move on to other things. He's everything. He's everything. And be encouraged in his word along the way. There's hope in the waiting. Wait for the Lord. So as burdened and broken believers, we cry out to the Lord. We find forgiveness with him and we wait for him. And then finally, burdened and broken believers have confidence in the Lord. Have confidence in the Lord. And we see this in verses 7 and 8. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with him, with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities being filled with assurance and hope, finding strength in the promises of God, the psalmist now turns outward to encourage the people of God. You see a change from the beginning of the psalm to here now at the end of the psalm where he began in the depths of sorrow and grief over sin. Now he's not in the depths, but he's on the highest mountaintops proclaiming hope in the Lord, forgiveness in the Lord. Hope in Him, not yourselves. Don't look to yourself to save yourself. You can't do it. There's nothing you can do. Look to Him. Look to Christ. And He's encouraging the people of God. You think about how this psalm was utilized personally in their lives, the people of God, as they were making their way to Jerusalem and on their way to the temple to worship in God's presence. Also, it was sung congregationally, or the people would sing it together. They would be encouraging one another. We do the very same thing as we sing together. We're not only singing to the Lord, giving him thanks and praise. We are encouraging one another with truths from God's word. 
And here that encouragement comes as they're singing or reciting this together. Hope in the Lord. It's with him that you can find forgiveness. It's with him that you can find joy. And then he gives them three reasons for this hope in the Lord. For, he says, verse 7, with the Lord there is steadfast love. He's reminding them, don't forget the promises of God. Don't forget his covenant love to his chosen people. That he has set his love upon them. That he will redeem them. He has said he will do it himself. Remember his steadfast love and find hope, find joy. He says, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And then he says, and with him is plentiful redemption. This is not just a little bit of forgiveness there, a little bit there, a little bit more. I hope I can get enough forgiveness. It's not a partial justification. It's the whole thing. We are declared righteous because of what Christ has done for us. We are forgiven. Our sins removed as far as the east is from the west. It is an abundant, full, and complete forgiveness. He's encouraging them and encouraging us. We can have confidence in this. Full atonement. Can it be? Yes, it can. Hallelujah. What a Savior. It's found in Him, not in ourselves. And then finally, he closes with verse 8. On another note of confidence here, he says, And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. He will redeem Israel. Not, boy, I sure hope He does. Or I hope you can do enough to... Encourage it to happen. He will. He will. There will come a day when you will be rid of this sin in your life fully. You will no longer struggle with sin. There will come a day when we will fully worship God in His presence, free from all of this, as He's making His way to Jerusalem, to the temple. And it's only because of what? His steadfast love which finds its substance in Christ. It's only because of Him that we can have this confidence. It's a guarantee. It's a sure hope. I think as we go through our lives and we struggle with sin, it's important to call sin what it is. Be broken of our sin. That guilt, that remorse, that suffering and grieving over our sin. It shouldn't cause us to turn inward to ourselves, but to look to Christ and cry out to Him, to be honest, to lament over our sin before Him and to remember the gospel, remember the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. And then filled with gratitude, we wait for Him, fixing our eyes upon Him, pursuing Him, because he is everything and being confident because of the hope that is ours in him, not in us. Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm, our comfort lies not in that which is with us, but in that which is with our God. 
And may it be true of us that we find our comfort, our hope, our forgiveness, our joy, our salvation. May we find everything in Christ and all his benefits. Let's pray. God, we cannot even begin to scratch the surface of the glory and the honor that is due your name for the forgiveness that is found with you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came in the likeness of mankind that he might obey perfectly all that you require. And that obedience would lead him to the cross where he would pay the penalty for sin that we deserve, that just judgment that we deserve, he bore in his body on the tree. And then having been raised for our justification and ascended now at your right hand, where he intercedes, where he pleads, where he is our mediator, where he is our advocate, Father, we cannot thank you enough for the salvation that is ours in Christ. We thank you that we can stand before you forgiven. We can stand before you righteous. And we can boldly approach your throne with confidence to find grace and mercy in time of need. Lord, may we daily be reminding ourselves of these great truths of the gospel. And may we find strength in your precious promises. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.